Hello and welcome to episode 32 of Capital Yarns, the podcast. An audio journey, an, an old-fashioned radio play, if you will, where each month, uh, with the help of family and friends, we bring together a short story set in Canberra, the capital of Australia, inspired by items nominated perhaps by you, the listener, perhaps via social media or in person or email or lots of the other ways I've received those three items to weave into my short stories. And it's Father's Day weekend in Australia, and so we really wanted to bring a story to you that evokes some of those Father's Day themes and perhaps also might evoke some themes that have been swirling around the national media this week in the political world as well. It was inspired by three items nominated via Twitter by Supergrand41, and what fantastic three items they were. A carload of kids, a 1970s valiant car, and an item that brought back lots of memories for me and uh, might have for many who grew up in Canberra as well, which is the old Starlight Drive-In at Watson, which sadly is no longer in operation, but thanks to some fantastic community support, uh, the, the iconic sign which advertised the drive-in uh, is still lit up and you can see it in Watson even today, which may also make a brief appearance in the story that... Uh, that old sign. You'll have to wait and see. Hopefully the story brings back some uh, memories, good memories for those who grew up in Canberra about the drive-in. Big shout out also to Karen who tweeted me to say her favourite part of the last episode uh, was the involvement of Jay and Little B and their thoughts on the story. Don't worry, we're going to listen to the story and then I'll be chatting to Jay and Little B about what it means to them and what sort of themes might have come out of it for them as well. But let's listen to this story. It's read wonderfully well by Peter. It's called How I Met Your Grandfather. The lights went off just as Jean put the stir-fry on the stovetop. It took her a second to take in what was happening, and she was disoriented for a moment longer by the concerned cries coming from Hamish and Lila. "'What's happening, Nanny?' Hamish called. Through the dim grey light, Jean could just make out Lila's eyes darting around, searching desperately around the room for a glint of light. "'It's okay, my darlings. It looks like the power's gone off.' Jean glanced up at the microwave clock to confirm that what she had said, and sure enough, the LCD screen was blank. "'It might be a fuse, but it's more likely the power company. I'm going to grab some candles.' The children made more nervous sounds as she stood up and walked slowly towards the cupboard, feeling her way around the furniture. She was able to dodge around most large objects by following the map of the kitchen she had subconsciously memorised. It's okay, I'm at the cupboard now. I have matches and candles in here unless Grandad has moved them. She felt around in the cupboard, which was in complete darkness, gently moving past what she thought were the table napkins and the plastic Tupperware, until her fingers touched upon the box of matches. She slipped them into her pocket before again reaching into the blackness of the cupboard, fumbling around until her hands gripped the candles. Awkwardly, she positioned them between her legs before attempting to light the matches. Damn Grandpa's cheapness, she cursed under her breath. What, Nanny? Lila called, her voice full of anxiety. Nothing, dear, I just wish he hadn't bought these no-name matches. She struck the match twice more against the packet 
and at last it lit. She clasped the candle and lit the wick. Light suddenly flooded the space around her. There we are now, she said, carrying the candle back to the table, where she could make out her two grandchildren sitting stiff and nervously. She placed the remaining candles on the table and sat down next to them. When they were all lit, there was a surprising amount of light, and as it grew, the children began to relax. All done, now let me see what's going on. The children moved round the table and huddled around her as she found the number for the power company on her phone. She called their faults line where a recorded message told her that the suburb of Watson would be without power for at least the next hour. We're in for a wait, guys, she said, hanging up the phone. But we can have some fun, can't we? This is just like camping. Tell us a story, Nanny, Hamish said. That's what Daddy does when we go camping. Okay, Jean said hesitantly, wondering what she could tell them to keep them entertained for the next hour. She stared out the window at the black night, now enveloping them, the usual light coming from the nearby houses and street lamps, absent. She could just make out the full moon, shining brightly through a small hole in her neighbour's row of petosperms. Her eyes drifted around the vegetation and saw off in the distance a slight glint. Something metallic was being partly lit by the moon's glare. That must be the old starlight drive-in sign, she said, at first not aware she had spoken the words out loud. What, Nanny? Lila asked. Jean looked down at her and smiled. Have I ever told you about the time I met your grandfather? she asked. Both children shook their heads, a look of anticipation upon their faces. Well, nuzzle in a little closer and I'll tell you all about it. It wasn't far from here, at the old Starlight Drive-In. They put the sign back up a few years ago, and you can still see it from the road, but the drive-in hasn't been there for years. A drive-in? Is that like a service station? Hamish asked. No, Jean replied, smiling. A drive-in was a type of old-fashioned cinema. It would be fun to go there on a night like tonight, instead of staying in and watching movies or going to the theatre. You would drive to this big open space with a massive screen, and then you either tuned into the sound via the car radio, or put this big clunky speaker into your car window. Why didn't people stay home and watch DVDs? Lila asked. Well, it was before DVDs were invented, my dear, Jean replied, and even today it's fun to go to the movies, isn't it? Yeah, I love the movies, and especially the food, Hamish exclaimed. Well, it was like a big open-air cinema, Jean continued, and it was really fun. Cars loaded with kids and parents, young people on dates, and whole families out for their monthly visit. It was Friday night, 29th of December, 1979, the last Saturday before New Year's Eve. It was a hot night, and it felt like anyone who had stayed in Canberra for the holidays had decided to go to the drive-in. I wasn't even meant to be there, but Auntie Anne really wanted to go to the drive-in with this boy. You know him now as Uncle Bert, although in those days everybody called him Alberto. He was really a lovely young boy, even then, but my parents were a bit narrow-minded, and they didn't like the idea of Anne dating an Italian. So they only agreed to it on one condition, that I went as chaperone. 
Dad loaned us his new Valiant for the night, although I was scared stiff of driving it. He loved that car. I didn't know until we arrived that Alberto had bought a friend, James. I wasn't prepared for there to be another boy there, and he took my breath away the moment I set eyes on him. He was tall and handsome with blue eyes and this lovely wispy blonde hair. It took me a few moments to even find my voice around him. We sat together in the front seat while the lovebirds cuddled in the back. He was quite the flirt. "'What's a flirt, Nanny?' Lila asked. It took Jean a moment to respond, so swept up was she in memories of that night. "'A boy who's very good at speaking to girls,' Jean said at last. "'Like Hamish?' Jean smiled. "'Maybe. Shall I continue the story?' The children nodded. In those days, you usually had some sort of preview or short film before the main feature. I can't even remember what it was on the night, but neither of us liked it. We made some idle chit-chat and were getting on pretty well. Suddenly my night was turning out better than I'd hoped, until he spotted an Asian family in a nearby car. Boat people, James scoffed. I was at uni then and quite full of myself. Thought I was a modern woman at the start of an independent life, which I suppose I was. Still, it took me a moment to take in exactly what he'd said. Sorry, I said at last. He must have sensed from the tone of my voice that I wasn't impressed, so he tried to change the subject. Nothing. When do you think the main feature will start? I'm bored of this. Do you think it'll be scary? He sort of shuffled towards me as he said this, and I leaned away from him. You can... Pick a Vietnamese family from behind, can you? I said. Well, they're all the same, aren't they? He responded innocently. They'd probably say the same about you, I glared at him. He paused and stared back for a moment, obviously considering how honest he was going to be with this wisp of a girl. I don't like what that Fraser is up to, he said at last. And now it was my turn to scoff. What bits don't you like? Compassion for people fleeing a war we participated in? James sighed. It was now clear to him the flirting was over and he was going to speak his mind. Not just that. My dad's a GP and he reckons doctors were just fine at making sure people who couldn't afford to pay still got treatment. Now Medicare means everyone has to pay something. Anyway, Fraser just implementing all the stupid ideas that communist Whitlam had. Welfare state? Give me a break. I was silent for a moment. I was so stunned by how conservative this guy was. Australia is changing, James. Already Alberto's family is here from Italy, and that Vietnamese family is there. If Australia reaches its potential, we'll be holding out a compassionate hand to all sorts of people fleeing awful situations around the world. Humans are good at treating each other badly. You have that right, James said triumphantly, and they're also great at bludging off others, starting with that family there. And what about Alberto? I asked him indignantly. He's different, James said quietly. Why, because he's got the right shaped eyes, I asked. James stared at me. Can we go back to talking about the movie? he asked at last. I stared back. He was damn attractive, but I just couldn't deal with his prejudices. Fed up, I got out of the car. Where are you going? Auntie Anne called. 
for a walk, I replied, and slammed the door. I didn't know where I was going, but I found myself at the candy shop, and I decided some popcorn might cheer me up. So I got in line without really thinking much about it. It wasn't until I got near to the front that I looked to see who was in front of me. A tall Vietnamese man was ordering some drinks. I was impressed immediately by how well he spoke English. Nonetheless, the girl behind the desk confirmed that he wanted six drinks in total. Big order, I said, smiling. He nodded. Yes, I speak the best English in my family, so I'm always sent to order things. Your English is very good, I said. Thank you, he said, with the merest hint of accent in his words. We have been here for three years, so I've had plenty of practice now. I'm Jean, I said. He smiled and returned my handshake. I'm Vu, he replied. Well, if you don't mind me asking, did you arrive by boat? It's just 1976 would line up with... I didn't finish my sentence... I was suddenly concerned I was stereotyping Vu because of his appearance. He smiled, a warm smile, complete with eyes, glinting with equal part amusement and kindness. Okay, we arrived by boat. My family was one of the first. He paused, apparently unsure if he should continue, and I wondered if he'd finished talking. At last he spoke again. We arrived in Darwin, not sure what we would find in Australia. We were relieved to be accepted on humanitarian grounds. We left Saigon Fu was interrupted by the girl holding a tray of drinks. I'm sorry, thank you, he replied, taking the tray. The waitress looked at me expectantly. I was so taken by Vu's story it took me a moment to register that she was waiting for me to give my order. Um, packet of Jaffas and large popcorn, please, I said at last. "'You ordered a toasted sandwich at the movies?' Hamish asked, breaking Jean away from her memories. Jean shook her head with amusement. "'No, Jaffa's were little red lollies that were hard on the outside and had chocolate in the middle. I think you can still get them.' "'Yum!' both kids said. She realised how intently they were listening to her story, leaning forward on their hands as she spoke. "'Careful you don't burn yourself on the candles, kids!' Jean continued her story. "'Are you here alone?' Vu asked as he waited for me for the food. I blushed, suddenly embarrassed. "'No, well, yeah, sort of.' And we both laughed. "'I'm chaperoning for my little sister. She's on a date. I didn't expect to find myself with company for the evening, but he brought a friend.' "'Okay,' Vu said, smiling. "'Tell me more about Saigon,' I replied." I was desperate to change the subject. After the fall of Saigon, my family was certain we would suffer terribly from the communist regime. My family was wealthy and prominent in the South, although not overly political. My father owned a successful cloth business. So he packed us up, everything we owned, and managed to smuggle us out. It was very frightening. We didn't know where we would end up. I nodded trying to offer some understanding, but really, what did I know about a homeland being ripped apart by civil war? After speaking to Vu, I went back to the car and James, feeling much calmer. I opened the door and popped myself down next to him. I had to admit he was very attractive. 
And if I was truly a modern woman, shouldn't I welcome the change for someone to challenge my opinions? I'll give Fraser and Whitlam this, James offered, after a few bites of popcorn. I do like the idea of legal aid. I smiled at that. It turns out we had more in common than we thought. And that night was just the beginning of... Jean was interrupted as the lights went back on in the house. Ah, said the children in a disappointed tone. Can we turn the lights off and tell stories by candlelight some more? Jean smiled. No, darlings, now the lights are back on, I should cook some dinner. You haven't finished your story, Nanny, Hamish cried out, smiling and looking at her hopefully. Sorry, guys, it's pretty much finished. Can we go to the drive-in one day, Nanny? Lila asked. No, I'm sorry, Lila. The drive-in and everything it stood for has long been ignored and forgotten. Eventually it fell into disrepair and closed, she said sadly. She looked down, reflecting on those times and the conversation with James all those years ago. Now all those ideas are just a distant memory. But her thoughts were interrupted by a sound of the front door. Grandad called the children. Jean beamed as her husband walked in. He entered the kitchen and hung up his jack. Foo, I was just telling the children about the day I met you. So thanks to Peter for that wonderful read. I'm here with Jay and Little B to talk about what they thought of the story. Guys, what did you think? Um, I really liked him. He looks like he looks really nice and attractive, but has a very nice personality. Um, and she met someone that had a lovely personality. Thank you. That's very good. Jay, what did you think? Um, that's probably my favourite story that you've written. Um, I'm at school and learning a lot about the Vietnam War. I've learned a lot about that over the years, and. Um, I think it's, um, I find that it's really nice that refugees come to Australia because, like, it sort of shows that we're a welcoming country, but now, in our days, it's, we're sort of not as welcoming as we used to be, so I find that a bit sad that, I think that story really good to, like, reflect that it doesn't matter what past you have, like, it just matters what's happening right now. So since you probably read the story, um, we've been to Vietnam, did that make any difference, listening to it again? Yeah, it did. Um, it showed that, um, you could actually, you could be in the refugee's position and what it felt like and it, and how people felt in Vietnam. And it was just nice to know that Australia, um, has been welcoming them for a long time. And now it's just sad that they're not allowing refugees. And it's good that Vietnam has now, um, settled down and is happy in their country. Yeah, that's a good point. Yes, B, little B, that's right. So the time the story was set, obviously Vietnam was going through hard time, hard time, hard time and now they're they're a place where you go for a holiday and it's a lovely place to visit. Um, for, Very lovely place for me. Um, reflecting, like I've I read that story a lot when I was younger when you first got it out, but now that like after I've been to Vietnam, I sort of I find it like a lot more head on. Like once you go and like witness it, like yourself you sort of realised how hard it was for everyone. Um, and then when I read that story again, I sort of think, what was Vu's past? It was a really difficult past, and, and it was really hard for me. And then coming to Australia, it was that nice? Was it happy? Like, it sort of brings out sort of all these other questions for me. 
One of the things I thought was interesting when we were in Vietnam is obviously they talk about the war a lot. They call it the American War, whereas we know it as the Vietnam War. But also a lot of people we spoke to didn't know that Australia fought, that Australians were there fighting during the war. Um, but obviously something that we remember a lot in this country. The final question I was going to ask you guys is who did you think she was going to... Who was, who was the grandfather that was going to walk through the door when you first heard the story? Do you think it was going to be James or Vu? Um, I thought I wanted it to be Vu. I thought it was going to be James because I thought she had made him a little nicer personality. It did seem like she was warming to him at the end, didn't it? Yeah, I... but I think that was nice because she's now friends with him, but she still has... She wants to be with you. With Vu. Yeah. Which is nice. I thought it was going to be someone like completely different. Ah, oh, that would have been cool, wouldn't it? Like yeah. someone completely different that we didn't know yet. And yeah. like she would have just been friends with both of them and like, met someone completely different. But I sort of wanted it. I didn't know. I sort of wanted it to be Vu, but then I sort of wanted James to sort of get his head around what was actually going on. Yeah. And I sort of, and then I sort of wanted Vu to like um, come out. And then I think because um, she didn't end her story, so I sort of feel like maybe her and Vu sort of maybe had lots of other um, trips together to yes. the movies. Yes, yes. You know? So they could have gone to Vietnam together. Oh, that's true. They could have gone to Vietnam together. Maybe they did. Maybe they did. Maybe that's a possibility. A sequel. Thank you, guys. That was awesome. So that story you just heard, How I Met Your Grandfather, features in... Volume 1 of the Capital Yarns book, the compilation of short stories uh, first time round, which is nearly sold out. If you're in the Canberra area, you might be able to pick up a copy at Muse in Kingston or Harry Hartog in Woden, but that's almost pretty much it. But don't worry, I'm crowdfunding for Volume 2 of the book, which will feature 13 new short stories set in Canberra and inspired by you. Thanks so much, everybody pledge your support for that crowdfunding effort. If you're thinking about uh, pitching in, giving up some of your hard-earned, you can find out more at my website, capitalyarns.com.au, and just click at the link at the top for Volume 2 of the book. For those not familiar with crowdfunding, basically uh, an overall target amount is set. For me, that's $3,000 to contribute towards some of the printing costs, and uh, a new pledge and amount. Uh, for my, my efforts, that's Sort of starting at $30 for a signed book and then working up towards things like if you want to name a character in the book or you'd like to buy multiple copies, there's some bulk discounts there. And then you only have to come through with your pledged amount if I reach my overall target. So I'm really close. There's about 15% to go. Uh, it'd be really fantastic to uh, to make that target and make volume to a reality. I'm hoping to share with you soon uh, some of the other things that have been happening with that project, most particularly some cover art uh, done by local Canberra artists, which is very exciting. And I've also got an uber local editor ready to polish the stories up for me. So it's going to be a really professional effort, even more professional last time, I think. Um, so it's really exciting. That's it for this month's podcast. Thanks to Hashimoto for the theme song and Jay and Little B for their help. Uh, and of course, Peter for his wonderful read of that story. I'll see you next time for another Capital Yarn short story. 